Today, Kristen Brown tells us her story of promoting Christian values in public policy. I'm your host, Paul Horrocks, and this is the Biblical Courage Podcast. The Biblical Courage Podcast is supported by listeners. Visit biblicalcourage.com to learn more or sign up for our newsletter. I'm here with Kristen Brown. She's going to talk to us today about her work promoting Christian values in public policy and supporting Christian organizations that are sometimes vilified by the culture. She'll also talk about the challenges of singleness and the courage it takes to trust in God's plan when it involves personal disappointment. So Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. It's wonderful to be with you. So I want to have you start by giving us just a short overview of the work that you're doing today. Yes. Well, I have uh, been blessed with an interesting uh, career. Uh, Currently, I am working at my church in the field of communications and women's ministry. My career has primarily been in the faith-based nonprofit space. Uh, Maybe we can talk a little bit about that, but uh, in in the area of pro-life issues. And a few years ago, I started a seminary degree at Gordon-Conwell and uh, have had a desire to work more directly in caring for women and in ministry directly. Um, And so I'm enjoying that seminary degree and getting to kind of apply what I'm learning as I'm working at the church and then use my communications background as well. So I'm at a really great job. I love my church, love the, the church community and feel like I'm flourishing. So I'm really blessed. I know people in this time and period of pandemic are going to in between jobs or trying to sort things out. And uh, so I'm really excited to see what God is doing in my heart and would love to, to share a little bit about that. And we definitely want to dig into some of your work at uh, some of these pro-life organizations and with some of these pro-life assignments. But I want to go back to the beginning and just have you give us a very short overview of how did you become a Christian? I currently live in the Washington, D.C. area. I grew up in California, Southern California, the beaches, uh, the laid back beaches of Southern California. And I always believed that Jesus was the only way to heaven for salvation, but I did not understand why he had to die on the cross. I did not probably basically understand the whole concept of sin and God's holiness. So I figured being a Christian was something that was, you know, you're doing the right things in life, following the right path. And that was something I was going to do later. (laughs) And so in college, I went back East at school and God began to work in my heart, convict me of my sin. And really I saw the the Christians on campus. They were uh, walking a different path than me and just had a a real um, joy to them that I didn't have. And I uh, was taken to some, uh, a Bible study outreach and really decided to trust my life to Christ. I kind of felt like I was recommitting my life to him after sort of a childhood exposure to him. But that was really when I saw my heart change for wanting to please God and wanting to walk in his ways. He, over time, began to show me that it wasn't about being a Christian, wasn't about doing the right things. It was about following the one who had already done all of that on my behalf and died on behalf of my sin so I could be with him and with God. 
it was a very interesting to experience that at a secular Ivy League school on the East Coast midway through my, my college career. It was kind of, if, you, if you've seen that series, The Chosen, they have an intro sure. where they've got yeah. fish going all swimming in one direction, and then one or two fish along the way, then flip and go in, in the other direction. And I feel like that was, it felt very tangibly that way for God to transform my life, draw me to himself and give me a heart to follow Jesus. Which and is a so, fairly uncommon thing, right? In other words, yeah, right. uh, today kids are going off to college and they're losing their faith. And so to see your faith strengthened in college is not a common thing these days. Right. So hopefully this gives just hope to parents that God is on the move and really to support also those college ministries. It was a small college ministry of Campus Crusade at the time that reached out to me. Now this particular, um, there, there is such a, a presence of the Christian community on this campus that I went to at Princeton University that is so encouraging to see what God is doing. But having them there um, when I became a Christian encouraged my faith. Uh, it helped me when I felt lonely, when I was that fish swimming in the other direction, and uh, taught me more about God's word um, and the gospel. And so that's how I came to faith. It was kind of radical. But um, when I always think about my college experience and what I learned there, it's what God did in my life. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit because you did go to Princeton. It's an incredibly elite school. And most of the people that go there end up doing something where they make a lot of money. And you didn't necessarily choose that path, which is incredibly <laughs> admirable. You took on some really tough assignments in your career that had a purpose bigger than yourself. And so I want to have you talk a little bit about that, starting with you worked at a place called the Family Research Council. So tell people a little bit about what they do and what you were doing there. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, people who follow Christ can be called to different things. They can be called to Wall Street. They can be called to serve in a ministry in Haiti. They may be called to do something like I did. And there isn't necessarily a hierarchy of value, but I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do uh, with my life, majored in English and founded myself doing an internship at a place called Family Research Council in Washington, D.C. that in the 90s, this was during the Clinton administration and the idea of advocating for a biblical or even Judeo-Christian worldview on issues like the sanctity of human life from b both um, the unborn to the, um, the elderly to perhaps what is taught in schools about sexuality, those kind of issues that, that was new to have kind of a voice in Washington on those issues, uh, providing some research, providing some background, providing sort of grist for those who had those convictions who were elected officials. And I loved it. I thought that I was passionate about the issues. These were things that I wasn't taught growing up. And I also was placed in the, the media relations department and really enjoyed the opportunity and the challenge to try to articulate on some of these issues in a, a, a winsome, compassionate, and compelling way, whether it was giving a soundbite to the news media, appearing on a, a radio broadcast or a TV show. And I found that, unfortunately, some because the TV and, and media is often driven by ratings, they're not looking so much for compassionate and compelling spokespeople. They're looking for more entertaining, um, provocative spokespeople. And so that's a tad frustrating. So I was one of those spokespeople. I also helped prepare some of those folks who would either go testify or appear on those shows called you know, Crossfire, or Hardball. <laughs> Even the, the, the title of those shows denote like this is going to be combat. 
but I think there's a place for Christians in the public square to, to be able to articulate, not necessarily this is what scripture says, therefore this is what our country should do, but this is what is good and wholesome for children. This is what is fruitful for our country and to be able to present those positions in a compelling way. So I think uh, groups like that are doing an important role and it, it does take a lot of courage for those to stand up, especially elected officials, because um, especially these days, uh, because they could lose their seat, uh, their position, if they stick their neck out on some of those topics. Yeah, I always think it's interesting that those that are hostile to Christianity have no problem sharing their views and their beliefs and saying we should make this the standard in the public square. But yet there's this hesitancy among a lot of Christians to say, hey, we should bring our beliefs into the public square. And and I think a lot of Christians have bought into this lie that your faith is supposed to be private. And I think, well, all those other groups, that's their religious beliefs. It may not be a formalized religion. It may be secular humanism or some other thing that they believe, but they're bringing that into the public square. Why shouldn't we bring our beliefs into the public square, especially if we think our beliefs are going to bless the culture and bless the society? Right. That's the very thing is to allow those that hold these views to have the the freedom to express them, to practice them freely. It is and has been historically a blessing to a culture. Christians are and have always been those that are seeking to serve the the weak and the vulnerable through missions, create uh, schools and work. And so that's something that I, I hope uh, that we as a Christian community and, and the, the culture realizes at large, whether or not they have their Christians or followers of some of these viewpoints, they see, you know, it, it is good for our culture to have the freedom to express these views. And that's something my husband, Scott, and I talk a lot about. It's interesting. I, I think a lot of people forget all the amazing things Christians have done. They forget the stories of like Wilberforce and playing a role in ending slavery in, mm-hmm. in England that was very public, or that Martin Luther King Jr. was the reverend Martin Luther King Jr., right? That, that he came at this from a biblical worldview and quoted God and being made in the image of God. And that was the basis for his public arguments on why this segregation needed to end because it was appealing to the Bible. Yeah. And so I think so often people just forget all these amazing things that Christians have done to rid the world of so many evils. But we also have to remember that as followers of Christ, we shouldn't seek to be applauded by the culture. Jesus uh, speaks to this in his word when he was, was here on this earth saying, you know what, if they criticize me, they're also going to probably criticize you too. And that's something, especially serving in the field of public relations, media relations, communications for Christian ministries, organizations, you want to be wise. Scripture says, be wise as serpents, gentle as doves, as you present your viewpoints in a public arena, but also do not expect and do not be surprised by criticism, by unfair labels that you're hateful because of this position, etc. And so that identifies you with Christ and it's because of his name, not because of, of who you are. So, so hopefully that should give whoever might be listening to this courage that if you're a follower of Christ, not to be surprised and that he's with you and for you. It often comes at a surprise to us as Christians when we are criticized and we're doing something that we feel like is not to seek to gain uh, financial gain and we're caring for people we're speaking, particularly a truth that we is advocating for the weak and the vulnerable. 
So yeah, um, that I, has been a good aha moment for me in my career. One of my favorite verses is Luke six twenty six. you know, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you for that's how they spoke of the false prophets. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is basically saying, if everyone says good things about you, you are not speaking the whole truth. And so I always tell people, if no one's criticizing what you're saying as a Christian, you're probably doing it wrong. Hmm. Uh, and and yeah. not that we want people to criticize us and not that we want to alienate right. anybody on purpose, but even if we just do it gently, as you're saying, it's still going to lead to criticism. Well, hmm. let's move on to CareNet. You work there. Tell everyone a little bit about what they do and, and some of the work you did there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I worked in that... Washington, D.C. advocacy space. But after almost eight or nine years of that, I really had a longing to be able to give out the gospel, to be able to share with people the fact that we all need Christ. And and I started doing some volunteering for this network of what's called pregnancy resource centers. And they are basically places where women, men find themselves facing an unplanned pregnancy, can go to kind of talk through their options to potentially maybe get an ultrasound to, to confirm, am I pregnant? And pregnancy test and and basically practical support and also just hopefully the love of Christ in their situation and to learn about Christ um, if, if they don't know him. So uh, there's a network of probably uh, over a thousand of these pregnancy centers across the nation. And so I, I worked for like an organization that was an association supporting those pregnancy centers. And uh, just really amazing people that, that work there, very, very courageous, many of them led by women, uh, but also men as well. And I started working there and it happened to be that they were also undergoing some media scrutiny uh, that probably came from just the nature of the fact that the pro-life issue, the abortion issue is kind of a spiritual battle. Those that have either experienced it or have oftentimes work in some of the abortion advocacy groups and So there was some scrutiny, some um, national news that was taking place. I was, my role was to try to articulate and defend these pregnancy centers. There was a cover story in Time Magazine. Uh, We were CNN, Washington Post, and many of these valiant uh, leaders in these pregnancy centers were also called before legislatures uh, as there were some bills that were put forward to try to regulate and sort of label these centers as places where you won't get accurate information or loving, wise care. So I loved, uh, it was difficult (laughs) because I thought, oh man, who could criticize these folks that are working so hard to just come along people to provide options and support. But I think, again, it was a, a spiritual thing of following Christ. And so don't expect to be praised but I really enjoyed locking arms and supporting some of these folks who had to go in and speak, who weren't called to be like speak before legislatures. They were great with like counseling, but here they found themselves in in a a state legislative hearing to try to articulate, here's what we do as this ministry. And many of the bills were thrown out when the reality of of who they were and the the excellence with which they they sought to, to do their ministry was viewed, but some of the bills were put forward. So, And these are people with big hearts that are yeah. operating on skeleton budgets. Uh, mm-hmm. They do not do this because they want to make money or fame or anything. They're just doing this to help people with these unplanned pregnancies. And they even do post-abortive support. I mean, it, it, it's really an amazing group of people. And it, it's one of the Absolutely. areas where I feel like the church 
has done a good job since sort of waking up to the reality of the pro-life issue and, and just that it is taking a life. And there's just been an explosion of the number of pregnancy care centers since the mm-hmm. early 1970s. So it's mm-hmm. just... It, it's yeah, just it's a great way to do. to show just look, yes, there is a conviction about the, the reality of the safety of human life, but we also have to realize and have compassion on, on the woman and, and, and the father who's, who's in this situation to come alongside her. And uh, so that I, I think that that model could be learned in, in a lot of different and other issues as well, where, where Christians have, have conviction to show the tangible help and support and compassion and while also standing for truth. So you worked at some pretty unpopular places. Did you ever lose any friends because of these places? Again, these are places that are not popular with non-Christians, but certainly even with some Christians, times they get frustrated with these places just because mm-hmm. they, they want everyone to like them. So did you end up having tension in your life or, or lose friends as a result of this? You know, to be honest, Paul, I, I really have not. I might, may, might have had a, a couple of uncomfortable conversations at family gatherings, but the only area I would say perhaps has been an, an, an impact for me is just maybe when I've been in between jobs and trying to mm-hmm. translate what I've done in, in the pro-life sort of family values arena to perhaps a, a secular, quote-unquote secular corporate communications job, you know, they would look at my resume and say either, no, like I don't support those views or what in the world is this? When, when reality, I, I would come with a lot of, you know, communications background to be able to, to help. Um, so in, likely in discriminating of, against you based on your beliefs. I, I think so. And, think and every so, job description it, says we don't discriminate based on your religion, but of course they absolutely do. Right. And it, it could be just that that has not been God's path for me. And I, since I now am working in a church, I've worked for other faith-based organizations on different topics. But I think that might be the consequence of, you know, once you have something like that on, on your resume, it's like, well, um, you know, we're not sure we want to hire you. But I I, I have not. Um, it has... Um, but I think it, it it's given me on the on the flip side that the the friends uh, that I made working in those arenas I mean that just friends for a lifetime uh, that that have that gathered together to work at the research council CareNet uh, just to 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 work alongside others that are working for a transcendent purpose like that it just bonds you so I I, I walk away with a lot of richness not a lot of necessarily job leads at the end of the day, but an incredible network of, of amazing people. It's, I remember that song when I was a kid, I'm in the Lord's army. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I feel like when um, people are, are taking your career path and working these areas, that, that it's a, mm-hmm. a small group of yeah. people, but it, they're tough assignments. And, and I'm so yeah. appreciative of people like you who take them on. Thank you. So I want to go you. a different direction. Just talk about trusting God in your life. You and your husband got married later in life, which is similar to the story I have with my wife. Mm-hmm. I want to just have you talk a little bit about the courage it takes to trust God when you're single and you really want to be married. Mm-hmm. Right. So I have always lived in an urban area, in the D.C. area, which I think is a little bit easier. So for those people who are listening or single, it can be a little bit tougher when I think you're in 
different parts of the country where you just feel really alone. But taking it, it does take courage to continue to trust God year after year when you're you have that that unmet longing. It takes courage to wait on someone that is a follower of Christ who also lives that out in the way that they date um, the views of of, of sex and marriage. Um, and so uh, I really, I, I know such so many amazing single men and women, even now in, in my life that are seeking to that still hold that desire close to the, the surface as far as like their heart emotional standpoint, but yet are seeking to live their life out to the full and not just wait on that or take kind of a, a woes me approach. So I, I sought to make make friends who are who could encourage me um, in that area when I was walking the single path. But it, it I I did struggle. I mean, it it does end up being on your mind um, and as a, as a focus. Unfortunately, too much of the time. Um, it also I think is helpful. It gives you courage to stand when you recognize what you might be experiencing is grief in an unmet long. You're not sure if it's something God has for you. But to be able to name that grief or disappointment in life and to to move toward God um, in in that grief and um, praying through like God, why have you let this um, happen in my life? But also asking Him to help you trust in His promises. Um, he hasn't promised marriage, family, great job, good place to live, comfortable uh, life to any of us, but He has promised that he will be with us wherever we go, that uh, he's promised his Holy Spirit who lives in us as, as Christians. And we have an incredible future promised to us uh, with Christ uh, forever. And so and he's promised also that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So it's not that we're just looking for the future, but, but uh, I do believe that those that go with unmet longings, whether it's be marriage, having a family, that they will see God's goodness on this side of heaven as well. So it takes courage to sort of move toward God and, and having that conversation with him. And I just um, up, applaud those who are walking walking through that journey now. There's a richness in their life that is uh, that I think is beautiful. It's um, that may not come for others who don't who don't have that kind of disappointment. So it also, it also think it takes courage to enter into godly relationships as you're, as you're dating with the reality that this relationship may not end in marriage, but uh, to be open to how God may grow you through it, because it's a lot easier sometimes to just hide from dating, uh, but to enter into a, a healthy, godly relate, dating relationship saying, God, I don't know where this is going to end. But will you will you teach me? Will you grow me to be more like you through it? And um, and so I would advise that too. Those are all things that I, I sought to learn, and I, I still try to to live out, even I, though I'm on this side of marriage. <laughs> I think it's really hard for singles who are Christian, who are sincere in their faith, and they meet somebody who either you know is great in so many other ways, uh, and they get along, and they can sort of see a future with the person. But either they don't have faith or their faith is lukewarm. And to walk away from that, oh, it's so hard. And I get it. But at the same time, it's worth it. And, and I think that's uh, a big part of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to marriage a little bit. You've talked in the past about uh, you and your husband got married, but you, you weren't able to have biological kids. 
And I want to just talk about the courage it takes to trust God when you want to have kids, but he seems to be saying no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is this is something that 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 people will face regardless of of their age. It's a whole issue of infertility um, at a, at younger ages. We got married in our forties, so the reality is that just our age um, impacts our ability to have have kids. But um, infertility is a is a topic I've I've done a little bit of uh, work on and thinking about, especially in in seminary. But for us, getting married in our in our forties, I really sought to to sort of wrestle with that. My, the hope was that we could sort of against the odds have kids. We we did have one miscarriage, which we had to walk through and grieve. But really, sort of wrestling again with God, Lord, the timing. Um, so I'm so grateful. I have an amazing, amazing godly husband, and so seeing God's hand in that gave me the ability to say, "Okay, God, I I see your." your timing was so perfect in that. Um, interestingly, my husband and I both lived in the Washington DC area since our twenties, since college, we, we knew many common people. We realized we, we probably shopped at the same grocery store, <laughs> but God had us to, to meet and date and uh, fall in love and get married in our forties. So I said, okay, Lord, could you have, you know, bumped that up a little bit um, <laughs> in the age that we... What's wrong with your planning here, God? Come I know, on. I know. And so... Get it together. I think, and and I've, I've had a lot of honest conversations with God about that. And so to have to wrestle through, you know, I know intellectually that God is sovereign, that he is good, that he does everything perfectly. And, um, and yet when you don't feel like you see that necessarily transpiring to wrestle with God over that and just his compassionate response um, to me and saying, you know what, take time to walk through this. Like, don't just have to immediately agree to all these things that, that, you know, intellectually I am, but take time to grieve and I'm, I'm here with you. So I've just, I, I really encourage people wherever they are. And perhaps if they're facing this particular issue or other, maybe disappointments in life to really walk through the, I, the process of lament, uh, which is all throughout scripture, which is such an encouragement. And I do think it takes courage to lament because in that process, you are turning to God in your disappointment and you, you complain, you pour out your heart to him. And God and does take complaints. Him. He takes complaints. Yeah. He does. He does. I mean, he already knows. He already knows what you think. And then to ask him. And then I, I think, you know, when you're there before God and praying and ask him, what, what are you really asking for? And for me, it's not asking to, you know, to miraculously have a child. It's, it's asking to be able to, to trust in his promises. And now it's asking him to be a part of his purposes of basically being fruitful and making disciples. And then to trust that he will comfort me, he will heal my heart, but also trust that he has good plans, different, different plans and, and plans that will be glorifying to him and fulfilling to me as well as I as I open up to something different than what I had expected. So I really encourage people to walk through that process. It helps you process your grief, um, but it and it moves you towards what God has truly promised and what He might have for you in your life. And I know you've studied the story of Naomi and Ruth in the Bible and really dug into that. 
I want you to talk a little bit about the courage in that story and, and give just a brief synopsis uh, for anyone who doesn't know who is Naomi, who is Ruth, and, and you know what happened yeah. there. And then yeah. why did it take well, so much courage for what Ruth ultimately did? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is such a great story. Uh, the, it's been described as a heroic uh, narrative. And, you know, these, these two really focusing in on, on two women, but also a man. Um, but the, in, in a nutshell, if I can describe it, so it's, it's a family that moves, at, um, a Jewish family that moves in the midst of a famine uh, to a whole different part of the, of the world, to Moab, which is a, uh, which at that point were, were enemies of, of, of Israel. And, and uh, they have children there and they're they have two sons. They have two sons. Their they're sons, um, the sons die, the, the husband dies. But, but they dies. married Moabite women they, first. They married Moabite women. And so then there's there's the mother and two daughter-in-laws left. And so that's how it, it kind of opening scene as if it were a movie starts. And it's just this huge tragedy. You've got this. And um, women alone in that society in those days did not necessarily fare very well. Absolutely not. And so one of the reasons why I've been drawn to this story, I mean, I, I, I love learning about women in scripture, but I, I love looking at uh, Naomi, who's the, who's the mother, and she, she expresses a huge lament uh, to God, and, but acknowledges God's sovereignty in that. So I think that's really interesting. She says, look at, look at what you've done to my life. And that, that's a key aspect in in um, in lament is to is, a, is to really say God is still in charge here. I don't like it, <laughs> but and and then the daughters in law one one decides to return home to her family, and the other Ruth says, "I'm going to go back with you, Naomi, mother in law, to to Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to I'm going to follow you and your God." And so huge example of courage in this, this daughter-in-law, Ruth, who's a woman of Moab, who would probably not be well welcomed in Israel and two, two women traveling by themselves and then going to hopefully be provided for, um, but not certain what God may have in store back at, in Bethlehem. And there's just one word, as I was looking back, I've written a number of papers on, on Ruth and Naomi and but one of the things I, I was drawn to is in, uh, I guess it's chapter one, verse 18. It says, when the mother-in-law Naomi saw that her daughter-in-law Ruth was determined to go back with her, she said no more. So the mother-in-law said, look, go, go back to your home. And Ruth said, no, I'm going with you. I'm going to, uh, your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. And the, the, the Hebrew word in there is called amatz. And it's, it's a word that's used 41 times in the Old Testament, but it means to be strong and courageous and to strengthen oneself, to be determined, to confirm oneself, to persist in something. And I thought it's also, so it describes a physical strength, but also a mental resolve to, to, to the sense of, I need to not just a one-time strengthening of my heart, but an ongoing strengthening of my heart. <laughs> I'm, I'm resolved, but it's something that's going to have to be ongoing regardless of the way I feel. And I thought, oh, that's such a beautiful picture of courage. And this was incredibly risky for her to leave her own people and where she would have had economic help to go to this foreign land where who knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, even just that, that's just in chapter one, you get all of that. I've, I've, I've written 
a whole paper just on chapter one, but you go on and you see God does uh, provide for them through this amazing man named Boaz. And but Ruth has to take some steps of courage as well, an initiative, in going out to provide for her mother-in-law in the fields. And and this man Boaz recognizes her, um, her faith, her her character, and then she has sent um, she uh, Naomi and Ruth she. Ruth goes to Boaz and says, you know, it's this whole story of this kinsman redeemer. And will you marry me so that we can continue our family's, our family's line. And uh, so to even go to Boaz and initiate that is certainly something that is, that is courageous. And he ends up walking through that process because there was someone else in line and that um, he ends up uh, getting, getting to and agreeing to, to, to marry Ruth and, um, they have a son and then the son ends up being in the line of David. And this is, this is the whole story that then points us to the bigger picture story of David is, is the promise and continuing the line to Christ ultimately. So this is a story of God's sovereignty, his provision in the midst of great suffering, but also the courage it takes to trust in God's character, his sovereignty, his provision in the midst of not seeing that. And boy, are we ever seeing that now? Um, regard, I'm not sure when this will play, but in the midst of what's going on globally, um, that Christians in different parts of the world, Afghanistan and Haiti, are having to trust in God's sovereignty in the midst of great suffering. This massive crisis. I mean, to me, one of the things that's amazing about Ruth's story is there is no way she could have understood that she would be in the line of David and ultimately in the line of Jesus. And she just trusted God and went with it and just thought, I'm just trying to survive. We're just trying to find a way to economically take care of ourselves. But as a result of her willingness to uh, serve her mother-in-law and stay with her mother-in-law, wow, God just gave her this amazing blessing. And, and we're still talking about her thousands of years later. I mean, it's 3,000 years plus later, and we're still talking about her. <laughs> yeah. So many amazing women of courage throughout scripture, Ruth, uh, Ruth and Naomi are are, are two of them. And, um, that it's as, as a, a woman who's in seminary and studying God's word, I love that women are a part of God's purposes and a part of God's plan that especially Christ, um, has, he elevated women in that, in that culture, called them, uh, they were his disciples. They were, you know, they were encouraged to, to, to learn and to grow and uh, in, in that day and age, that was not that was not the case. And they played a, a huge integral role in the advancement of the church and supported the church financially. They were businesswomen. I love seeing the also the alliance of men and women together in Scripture and in advancing God's purposes. Not perfect men and women, but women and men that God used uh, for His purposes. So. It truly takes courage to have faith that God's plan is better than our plan. What would you mm -hmm. say to someone who just is struggling to believe that God's plan is better? Mm. I would say it's important to give yourself time to be able to articulate the things that you're you're disappointed in, that maybe you have walked through. Uh, we've talked already a lot about um, lament and how uh, how helpful that is in the journey of Lord, I just don't, I don't know, I don't trust you. I I think it's important to be a part of a a church community 
where you can um, share these struggles and also hear the stories of others who have maybe been through other or similar uh, disappointments or struggles that don't, don't go it alone. Also, I would encourage them that, that their story provides them in time an incredible platform to point to Christ. That's how I've, I've seen my own particular journey of uh, saying, oh gosh, I really wish I could have been a real, a biological, a, a parent. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously open to other means of becoming a parent have not been led in that direction as far as like adoption, but just I'm, I'm uh, expressing the disappointment, but also the hope in, in seeing the big picture and seeing my role. And uh, I think that it can be a powerful place of, of sharing, uh, of pointing to God. And so to in time, if you're open to allowing God to use you in your story, it may be a very powerful testimony, something you may not have wanted, but something in time that you may see God painting a different picture in your life, but something that I believe can be very beautiful. So to give yourself time to, and also to, to know that both grief and hope can coexist. So that you may not come to a place where you're like, oh, I'm so glad like this is a different journey for my life. You may still have that disappointment, but yet there's a beauty, there's a richness, there's a hope that is growing in you. And those things can, uh, you can hold those things in tension um, rather than, um, you know, then feeling like you have to get to a place where you just, you know, you're uh, unnecessarily, um, happy uh, for whatever God has planned for you. You might, you might completely. So that, that has helped me too, to say, you know what, um, these two things can, are going to be um, a part of my life. I, I have a disappointment, but I also have the hope and that I, I pray um, points people to Christ. That makes sense. Yeah. We're not called to be masochists. <laughs> we certainly want to be joyful about uh, the fact that we're saved and that uh, we have, uh, treasures in heaven that we're building and that we get to spend eternity with God, but we don't have to avoid lamenting the fact that there's there's yeah. things about which we're sad about. Yeah, yeah, right. So I just want to give you an opportunity. You talked a little bit about up front about the work you're doing at your church, but if there's anything else you want to share about just how you're using your gifts and talents to serve other people mm. today. Yeah. Well, I mentioned that I had uh, started a seminary degree about two-thirds of the way through. I'm personally studying at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. I appreciate the fact that I uh, learn there from people from different denominations and, and, and stretched in, in, in that sort of way. But I would just encourage, in particular, if anyone is considering the seminary, just wanting to go deeper in their faith, to consider taking some classes maybe on the side, if they've got a full-time role, uh, maybe pursuing a certificate. I'm just taking one class at a time, which has taken me a while to work on a, on a master's, but um, it's been in, in, incredibly rich. I also want to just encourage women to grow deeper, that, that all of us are called to really be theologians, to really know God and know his word well, and why not apply all of who you are, heart, soul and mind to knowing him. That might not mean the seminary class, but if that's something that has intrigued you, I would just encourage those to uh, to check it out. There's um, so many amazing biblically sound seminaries that we have incredible access to online, mostly now uh, because of COVID. So I would just encourage people to continue to pursue knowing God 
with all of who they are. It's a great word. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thanks so much, Paul. It was a joy getting to talk to you. The Biblical Courage Podcast is supported by listeners. You can support us by going to biblicalcourage.com. While you're there, you can also sign up to receive our newsletter. That's biblicalcourage.com. If you liked the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you didn't like the podcast, we forgive you.